The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by SellMaxBatteries.com, as always, the go-to website for all your battery needs. Sellmax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national bands, and the best part, Sellmax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, gaming tools, headphones, still cameras, hearing aids, smoke lamps, whatever device you need a battery for, Sellmax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. Order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99, or a 24-pack of ultra-alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming high-tech devices, at just $12.99. Order today and use coupon code BOSTON, that's coupon code BOSTON, all uppercase, and save 20% off your entire order. Once again, that's coupon code BOSTON, all uppercase, to check out and save big today. SunMaxBatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X Batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. And the Wicked Smart Sports Guys is also now brought to you by manscaped.com, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming out there. You're never going to find something better than Manscaped. Okay, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. 2 million men worldwide. Why aren't you going to Manscaped, okay? You're not going to do what 2 million men... Like, listen, listen to the masses, okay? Manscaped does it right. And we have an exclusive offer, okay? If I haven't convinced you enough, we have an exclusive offer so you can get these even, even lower price on Manscaped, 20% off and free shipping. 20% off and free shipping if you use code WSSG. That's code WSSG at manscaped.com. You're going to want to head over there. Just check out the Lawnmower 3.0. I mean, it's that—that that is really what you're gonna want. It comes inside the the perfect package 3.0, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. And the lawnmower 3.0. I mean, if you need a razor, you need the lawnmower 3.0. And with our 20% off code, you can get it even cheaper. Like that's that's the thing to buy. So get 20% off and free shipping again with code WSSG at Manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping. Use our code WSSG. Unlock your confidence and always. Use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks as always to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we are joined by none other than Jack Simone, the founder of BannertownUSA.com. Jack, you, you know, the host of the pregame show, the Bannertown Build-Up, host of the From the Raptors podcast. Jack, Jack does everything. <laughs> you, if you if you follow themselves on Twitter, you've probably seen Jack because he's just everywhere. Jack, thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course, anytime. I always love talking basketball and Celtics here. So, Jack, we're going to get into the second half, okay? NBA All-Star game's over. That train wreck. Uh, and... <laughs> We're going to talk about what's ahead for, for the Celtics now, you know, looking ahead to the second half of the season. 36 games left, which actually, or 30, 30, 36? There are 36, isn't 36, there? yeah. So a little bit more than what would be left to play at a, a regular All-Star break. But nonetheless, I mean, pretty close, generally. It's, pre- it's pretty, you know, close with what we would, out of a normal All-Star break in a normal NBA season that was a normal length. This is what about what we have left. So we're, we're kind of, you know, a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of normalcy in there. You know, it's not completely normal, but we, we get a little taste of it. So we're coming out of the break. The Celtics, those four wins before the break, they get back to two games over 500. Right now, they're in, I believe, sole possession of fourth place in the Eastern Conference. Um, they're, uh, you know, they're half game up on the Knicks of all teams. Um, so, I mean... Honestly, are they in the best position? No, but I think if you if we had talked a week or a week and a half ago, 
we uh, I guess it would have been a week and a half a week and a half ago. We would have thought we would have never thought this team would be in this position before the break. Yeah, it was nice to see them go on that four game win streak. I know Brad Stevens talked about you know before it happened after they were slumping. He said these next four games are going to tell us a lot about where this team can go. And then they won all four, and they weren't all easy games. Obviously, the Raptors had a you know a COVID squad or whatever you want to call it. The Clippers were down Kawhi, but regardless, like they were all quality teams. It's not like they beat up on the Magic and the Pistons. Like they came back and beat some decent teams, and so I think that's really going to carry them into the break. What I'm really looking for is the bench to continue that production because if you look at over those four games, you know. Tatum and Brown played well, but they didn't do anything spectacular. Tatum had that great game against the Wizards, but other than that, they were like they were solid. Don't get me wrong, they weren't bad by any means, but it was it was the bench. Peyton Pritchard, Robert Williams, even Jeff T contributing that really, you know, pushed that along. So if that can be what the Celtics get on a consistent basis, then I think we should see a vast improvement in the second half of the season. To you, what was the most impressive win in that stretch? Oh gosh. You got you got the Pacers win, you got the Wizards win, you got the Clippers win, and you got the Raptors win, right? Yep. I would say, I forget which one exactly. I'll say I'll go first. There, I'll go first. Yeah, because okay. I actually have a very strong opinion on this. To me, it was the Wizards win. I mean, and you know, people are gonna say, well, the Wizards, you know, of those four teams, they're the worst right now. And but going into that game, the Wizards were hot. The Wizards were on fire. I think they'd won like eight of nine or something like that going into that. Like they were doing really, really well. Uh, you know, heading heading into that one. Here, I'll pull up their. Their last ten now, it might have might have tailed off since the I break. I think they were seven and one in their last eight at that. They're point. seven and three in their last ten right now, which over your last ten is at like one of the better records in the Eastern Conference. I think it's, uh, let's see, there's only I only see one team with a better record over the last ten games in the East. So the Wizards were killing it. They they were feeling themselves, and you go into that game or the fourth quarter, final minutes of the fourth quarter, and it looks like you're gonna lose. It looks like you're gonna drop that game. And stay under 500, and you fight and you scrap, and you end up winning that game on the back of Jason Tatum. And they've lost a lot of close games this year, a lot, a lot of close games. I think we talked about after the fact that it was their first one possession win in like two months. Their last one was like against the Miami Heat way back in January. Uh, it was like they had back to back one possession wins against the. Heat, the Pritchard game where he, he had that put back, and mm-hmm. uh, the Pistons game where Tatum hit the game winner. So it was their first one since then. Really, the first it felt like their first win in a real close game. And they, you know, some people would say they pulled it out. You know, they they it was they should first of all they shouldn't have been down that much in the game. Second of all, they really pulled it out because Bradley Beal slipped and whatever. I was really really impressed with Tatum's performance down the stretch. I mean, he didn't miss. He was he was perfect he was like you know in, the, in that game and uh i don't know I, I i know that it was the worst team of those three but or of those four but it was the most competitive to me and the wizards were you know like i said doing well at the time and i just the finish was was very important to me because i feel like watching the celtics this season there is a lack of confidence in this team in the clutch right now and that was that was a big moment to me yeah i would say they were all pretty impressive to me. Uh, I know that's a generic answer, and I'll give you a more specific one. But uh, I think overall, all of the teams had these little pushes where they got ahead of the Celtics, and the Celtics were able to pull it back, which is something we haven't seen a lot. If I had to lean towards one, I'd honestly go towards the Pacers one. 
um, because Kemba had a big game, right, 32, and he covered for Jason Tatum had a really rough game. And those are the games you need to win if you're the Celtics. If Jason Tatum has a bad game, you have to be able to get contributions from elsewhere because if Jason Tatum has a bad game and you always lose those games, that's obviously not going to lead to a great record. Jason Tatum should be expected to, you know, bring 20 points to the game every time. But when he can't, if the Celtics can still manage to pull out a win, that's huge. The bench contributed. Kemba Walker had a season high. So I looked at the Pacers game, but they were all really impressive. Well, maybe not the Raptors one. I don't know if I said that was impressive. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you 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 beat uh, found a way to beat Norman Powell. And the, and they like, weren't missing though, and the Celtics weren't playing terrible defense. The Raptors hit a bunch of tough shots, but they definitely should have handled that cleaner than they did. All right. Nevertheless, uh, like I said, nineteen and seventeen, fourth in the East at the break, which is pretty solid. Um, what, what do you look? What, what do you think of when you look at these standings? Because I know it's. Again, when we're trying to map out, you know, how the season's going, it might be a little early to talk about the playoffs, but I feel like you, you know, that conversation starts shortly thereafter, the All-Star break, so let's do it now a little bit. Let's, you know, and, and it's very close. It's all very close, you know, four through, uh, even like 12. If you want to go down to 12 in the East, it's separated by four games. Four through nine is separated by two games, so it's very, very close. There's still a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that could still shake around and stuff in the East, but... If you had to, to, to pick it out now, first thing I'm going to do is let's just assume, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm you know, uh, what would the word be for this? Um, counting, counting the eggs before they hatch or something like that, or, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a risk here, but let's just assume the Celtics get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Can I do that? Yeah. Can I assume the Celtics are going to Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way they miss the playoffs. Um, let's say the Celtics get in, and let's say the Bucks, Nets, and Sixers get in, Okay. Who do you think the other four playoff teams are going to be in the East? And let's go ahead and skip the play-in. So pick your play-in winners, too. Okay. Give, me, give me your four uh, other playoff teams in the East. All right. So that that's tough. I know because obviously the play-in, I feel like anybody can win those games realistically because the way I see it is obviously say Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston. I would say the Raptors and the Heat are definitely going to get in as well as well as the Pacers, so that's three more. I know Pacers and Heat have been struggling, but they're they're too talented to, you know, miss the playoffs. I think they'll figure it out. They have good coaches. They have all-star level players. They'll all get in. So that leaves one more spot in the East, and I think this is where it gets confusing because the Knicks are playing really well right now, and there's some rumors that they could make a move. I also like Charlotte. I also like Atlanta. I like Washington. Even Chicago is not bad. If I had to pick one, I'd probably go Charlotte because they have a solid mix of veteran leadership and they pass the ball really well. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me at all if it was New York. I don't think Chicago, Atlanta, Washington is going to be able to pull together. I think Washington will get in the play-in at the very least. Uh, I think so will like the Knicks. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Charlotte, Miami, Toronto, and Indiana as those last four. I'm sensing a little bit of bias from you, Mr. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've watched the game, so I know how good they play. Mr. Yeah. Hornets yeah. writer over there, Jack, also <laughs> writes for the, the, the buzz, the hive, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, Jack, the, the Hornets really, like, I, I feel like yeah. you're, I feel like you got a little bit of bias is creeping out there. I mean, maybe it is, but just looking at the rest of these teams, right, you got, uh, I said Indiana, Toronto, and Miami, they're all locks. I think they'll all get in, you know, six, five, six, seven, or whatever you want to call it. Um, New York, I'm impressed with. I really like Tom Thibodeau. I really like Julius Randle. I like what they're doing there. But I don't know if they necessarily have, like, with the way they're 
roster is currently constructed have the talent to keep up this pace because I, I don't know what their schedule looks like for the second part of the season i think they're a lock for the play-in i think the Knicks will definitely get in the play-in and maybe out of those games they'll be able to pull off an upset but the way charlotte plays basketball they're second in the league or top three in assists gordon hayward playing at an all-star level terry rogier low-key playing at an all-star level lamella ball has been incredible they have all the pieces around them to make it work. You know, P.J. Washington's solid. Miles Bridges is solid. Devontae Graham's a good shooter, good passer. They just have a nice, well-rounded team. And although there's no star, per se, like Julius Randle is very clearly, you know, the spearhead of the Knicks. He, he's far and away their best player. He was an all-star this year. Props to him. Same with the Bulls. Zach Levine, far and away their best player. You know, you look at some of these other teams. Atlanta, I would argue Trey Young, far and away their best player. Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook's right there with him, but still, after that, there's a steep drop-off in talent, except for the Hawks maybe, but they have a lot of injuries. With the Charlotte Hornets, they're just so well-rounded, and Gordon Hayward is also an all-star level player, and same thing with Terry, you could argue. I just think that gives them the step up, that and their passing ability. So, I was actually just kind of messing with you. I don't actually think there's much by it. <laughs> I, I just was baiting you out. I actually like the Charlotte pick. And to your point about the Knicks, not knowing if they can keep up their pace, I was just able to look this up. The Knicks, second half, they have the fifth tough, toughest schedule in the league, according yep. to tankathon.com, based on strength schedule, based on winning percentage. Um, so it's not going to be easy for the Knicks. And I think people are inclined to say, oh, the Knicks have been so good this season. How can you say that about the Knicks? You know, all oh, like... You guys are just hating on the Knicks. Blah, blah, blah. Like, look, how, look, they're in fifth in the East. I'm rooting for yeah, the well, Knicks. I'm rooting for them. <laughs> like, I think it'd be said, sick. You know, the Knicks are fifth in the East. Great. They're two games out of 10th place. Okay? A lot can change very quickly in the Eastern Conference right now. And just as, as an aside, I will say, I'm, I've been very disappointed in the Eastern Conference this year. I really yeah. have. Because I feel like there are a lot of good teams. I mean, we mentioned the teams in that mix, Miami, Toronto, and Indiana. They all, and even the Celtics too, should, they all four of those teams should be much, 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 much better than their record. Okay, like, I, I was thinking that this was the year that the East could finally, one through eight, one through nine, stack up with the West. The West is still deeper, you know, 10 to 13, 10 to 14. By There's a far. ton of good, like, you look at the West and you see teams like, you know, uh, the Pelicans, not even in the play-in right now at 11th when they have Ingram and Zion and all those guys, and it's, like, ridiculous. But even the, with the Hawks, too, and the Wizards with Wall and be like, these teams should be way, way better record-wise than they are. And it annoys me because there is this bias against the Eastern Conference. But, you know, maybe, hopefully some, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's fair to say that it's just all in the Eastern Conference, right? Because I think a lot of people would have thought, oh, you take Russell Westbrook, who actually had a pretty good season last year for the Rockets. You take Westbrook and you put him in the East. You know, he could be a three-seed because we talk all the time about, oh, this this team in the West would be a three-seed or like, you know, the Spurs or the Mavericks or whoever. They would be this seed or that seed in, if you put them in the, in the East, just record-wise. But you take a player from the West, Russell Westbrook, who's made the playoffs in the West. You put him in the East. And I know he's, you know, post-prime Russell Westbrook. But even still, you know, and he can't, he's the 12 seed right now. So I think it's not quite as simple as sometimes we make it out to be. Even still... I, I really wanted to see some better records from those teams four through uh four through yeah like four through eight at least in the East and have some really really solidified teams that were they were having good seasons and I'm disappointed that we're still dealing with this Eastern Conference stuff. A hundred percent. The West is just 
through and through better than the East right now, outside of maybe, you know, the Timberwolves, who are god-awful. And I feel like we have to say that every yeah. year, which is so mm. annoying. It's like, I mean, we get it, the West is better, but I just, I, 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 I just... Like, these teams, I mean, you mentioned it. The Hornets, even, like, I meant, I mentioned those other four teams. The Hornets should be good. The Hornets have a really, really good team with Rozier, with LaMelo yeah. Ball, with Gordon Hayward, with, like, P.J. Washington. Like, they're really talented. They shouldn't be two games under, or they shouldn't be a game under 500 right now. Yeah, it's definitely something to look at. It's just, like I was saying, the West is just infinitely better than the Eastern Conference. Outside of probably, you know, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, right? All solid teams. I'm going to lump the Celtics in with the rest of the East because that's what their record says. That's what they played like this season. Every team that is top 10 or maybe top 9 in the West is probably better than everybody else in the East, which is kind of sad. Utah, really good. Suns, really good. Lakers, Clippers, Blazers, Nuggets, Spurs, Mavericks, Warriors, all of them can compete with every other team in the East, right? And those top four or five teams could probably dominate every other team in the East. Lakers, Clippers, Suns, Jazz, all playing amazing basketball this season, and their record shows it. And it's just, it, it's disappointing, right? Like Miami, Toronto, Boston, Indiana, I think were the four that you mentioned. Charlotte's maybe on the border, but those four definitely have had vastly disappointing starts to the year. There have been injuries, there have been stuff. Indiana's had some trades, you know. The Raptors just kind of shit the bed to start the season. I don't know what's going on. It, it's just it's just kind of a mess. You know what's funny, though, as I'm looking at the strength of schedule? There's some weird things that you wouldn't expect. I mean, for instance, the first and the fourth uh, toughest schedule left are the Rockets and Timberwolves, who it's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those teams are going to be worse, you're telling me? That's what's going on here? And by the way, like, it's not... I know that you might think, well, they're bad and they're not playing themselves, so that has something to do... Like, it really doesn't. That's one team out of 29. Like, you know, it's, it's very random. Like, um, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they're bad. They're not having a great season. They have the 19th schedule. So they they have uh, kind of an easy schedule remaining. So it is all over the place. So. And do you know what's crazy? Fact check me here, but I'm pretty sure the Jazz have, like, one of the easiest schedules left. It might be, like, number one or two, which is kind of insane. But feel free, feel free to fact check me on that. So I was getting to that. I was prefacing <laughs> it to say, listen, this is a real thing. It's not just like, well, obviously that would be the case. The Jazz have the easiest strength of schedule left in the mm-hmm. league. The Utah Jazz, who are for the best record in the NBA right now. Um, yeah, that is absolutely, absolutely absurd. Um, some other like teams that stand out, Brooklyn is 28th. or so, Sorry, Brooklyn has the, the third, I should say it like this. They have the third easiest schedule mm-hmm. remaining. Philly has the sixth easiest schedule. Um, Boston is kind of middle of the pack there. Uh, they have, I think that's the 13th. And um, Charlotte has about the, let's see. Seventeenth uh, easiest. So there's some names to take out. Milwaukee is has the twelfth toughest. Toronto has the eighth toughest, which is a tough one for them because they've already had a rough season. So the fact that they have the eighth toughest is uh, you know isn't too good. Um, but yeah, th- those are some teams that, that stick out to me as I was looking at this. I was like, wow, how about that? Uh, yeah, Utah. I mean, the easiest get uh, as easy schedule remaining is, is is wild. But Either way, I I should uh, say who I think my playoff teams are going to be in the East because, uh, you know, just to be fair. Um, you know, I think it just because, and I, I but this is going to be the third time I'm mentioning this, but because it is so close, you can really pick anyone. Like, I, I think that we're inclined, you, you and me both, to say, oh yeah, the Heat and the Raptors and the Pacers, they'll get in because of what we know them to be in the past, but... This season, still anything could happen. I mean, the Pacers are barely in the play-in right now. They're hacking up on the Hawks, or they'd be out of the playoffs completely. 
So the Pacers, you know, aren't right, and who knows if they're going to get Lavert back. And I mean, there's there's been some stuff about uh, that that he could come back uh, here at some point. And for those trade rumors about him yeah. too. So I mean, I I don't know. Uh, honestly, I, I like the Hornets. I want to see the Hornets get in. Um, I think that would be a fun team to get in. And and I I'd like to see the Hawks and the Wizards make a push because I think again those are those are two fun teams with you know Trey Young and Westbrook and Beal like. Those are some teams I'd want to see make a real run at it, and I think would be entertaining to see in, in the playoffs. I, you know, do, the Bulls like I know Zach Levine's kind of fun. I I would prefer not to see the Bulls. Like I think the most fun scenario, if we want to go just by um, pure storyline stuff, would be if the Knicks, Heat, Hornets, Raptors, and Hawks and Wizards all make the you know playoff slash play in, and you say goodbye to the, the Bulls and the Pacers. I think that would be the most fun. And then because I made you pick four, if I had to pick four out of those, out of that group, you know, it's just tough. It's tough uh, to say goodbye to the Knicks because they are such a nice little story. But um, I think based on their schedule and their roster, we know it to be probably the, the worst out of that group. Um, the Heat have a pretty easy schedule, so I'll take them. So I'll take, I'll take Heat, Hornets, Raptors and give me. I want. The, I have to pick the Hawks or the Wizards basically now. Uh, what a Sophie's choice. Hawks or Wizards. Um, you know what? I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm just literally gonna go to standings and see who has the easiest schedule, and then pick that team. How about that? Uh, they actually. You know what's? <laughs> they're literally 21st and 22nd on this list, back to back, right next <laughs> to each other. Um, so that does not help my decision at all. Should I just flip a coin? Um, no, if I really had to pick, I think the Hawks, because they're getting DeAndre Hunter back here soon, supposedly, right? Am I just, am I just saying that, or they should be getting him back at some point? I think so. So, so, if they get him back, I think they'll be playing a lot better. Their record with him is is a lot better than it is without him. They made a coaching change, will that help them? I don't know, um, so much, but, you know, let's assume it does, and I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and take the Hawks out of that group. I just, I mean, they have had a lot of injuries this season, so I feel like if they get healthy, like, they should be able to put a run together. And again, not too far out of it right now. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I think Wizards and Hawks both have a chance. Bulls and Pacers, both <laughs> probably not the most fun teams to watch. Uh, even though I really do like watching the Pacers, but I think I'm weird in that sense. Okay, so Celtics, let's talk about it again. Because I, as I just said, um, we talked about the strength of schedule. They have the 13th easiest schedule. So not not bad, not great, but, you know, um, right there in the middle, basically. Uh, their I th- their upcoming schedule coming out of the break. They got the Nets, the Rockets, and the Jazz as the first three. So when you first saw their second half schedule released, what were your thoughts? Because I, I I remember correctly, I think you were a little bit daunted by it. Yeah, it definitely looks rough when you first take a look. I, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but I know I obviously. But before the four-game win streak they went on, I saw the Clippers coming up before the break, so that was daunting. Uh, I know they play the. Bucks twice in the next couple weeks. I know they play the Nets. I know they play in a few other couple teams. I don't know if the Raptors is one of them, but I know it's not too too easy. So they play the Bucks back to back, March twenty fourth, March twenty sixth. Yeah. That's that's their two games. Yeah, play. so it's definitely not going to be easy. I think it'll be a good test for the Celtics, and I think if knock on wood, Marcus Smart and Romeo Langford come back by then, which I don't see a reason why they wouldn't. I think seeing the Celtics at full strength finally, which we haven't really seen all season is going to be huge for determining how well this team can do in the playoffs and beyond. Um, so what do you think about that? I, I know we'll talk about both of these big games. So let's let's start with the one that's coming right up at, out of the break against the Nets. So Blake Griffin, who knows if he's going to be suiting up or not, 
But the Nets now, I mean, I think the NBA title favorites. I think I, I don't have the odds in front of me, but I think if we looked up the NBA title odds, they, they would be number one. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on them as a team right now in that matchup? Because it's, you know, I, I don't know how good Blake Griffin's going to be. I'm not to, uh, totally ready to say he's going to be a non-factor. I think there's a good possibility he could be a really decent player for them. I brought up the idea uh, recently of, hey, will, uh, I mean, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant won the power struggle and got DeAndre Jordan the starting spot and pushed Jared Allen out of town. So could they do the same for Blake Griffin, uh, even though he might not be so deserving of it? Um, but uh, either way, the Nets, by the way, looking at this, they're, they're just behind the Lakers. So the Lakers get 250. The Nets get plus 275, which is, you know, pretty much the same. So um, those are the two favorites. So what do you think of the Nets right now? And, I mean, what do you think of this matchup? Because it is, it is a tough one. Um, I don't know if we want to say, like, oh, I don't know if I want to say so much, do you think the Celtics stand a chance? But, I mean, after a four-game winning streak, that's definitely not the team you want to be staring down. Um, I might bite the bullet on this. I might you know, live to eat these words, but I think Blake Griffin will make the Nets a worse basketball team. I don't believe in Blake Griffin in wow. the slightest. I think Jeff Green should get minutes over him. Nicholas Claxton should. I'm looking at the roster. Joe Harris should get minutes over him. Bruce Brown should get minutes over him. It's just he he's there to space the floor, right? Realistically, you know, one of their big three is going to have the ball in the hands at all time. Blake Griffin in Detroit, I don't know if you, like, watched him specifically when the Pistons played the Celtics. He just stood there with the ball in his hands, passed it, and then stood on the perimeter. He didn't move. And maybe the effort level will go up in Brooklyn, but I haven't seen anything from Blake Griffin in the past two seasons that would tell me otherwise. So, if he gets minutes over any of the guys that I named, the Nets are going to be worse on the floor. I mean, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from, and Blake Griffin certainly isn't the player we know him to be, or we, we've known him to be in the past. Even still... He's just two years removed from being an all-star. And I'm not saying he's going to get back there because he just he's not. That's not going to happen. And NBA scouts, uh, you know, I think today, so Howard Beck came out and said that NBA scouts watch him play basketball, and they're like, I can't, this is painful. Like, I, I can't watch this guy, you know, on the court. It's just, it's too much. But even with all that said, you know, going to an environment where he feels more empowered, you know, versus with Detroit where it seemed like they just didn't want him anymore. And for good reason, but you know he didn't want they, he didn't want to be there. They didn't want him, and now he's going to a situation where it's, he's going to have a like n- none of the defensive focus, none zero of the defensive focus is going to be on him. He's going to have a lot more freedom. He can move off ball maybe you know slowly, but he can move off. He can you know work off the ball more than he he could in Detroit, and you know I think that it it could help him play a little bit better. I, I you know. I've tried to think of, of different ways that, that Blake could play. I think one of the players that I compared his game to, which is really sad when you think about Blake Griffin in his prime, you know, the high-flying uh, Blake Griffin, like what he used to be. Um, is it fair now to compare Blake Griffin to Boris Diaw as like this, you know, lumbering or <laughs> pretty good passer but can't really jump over a, a phone book? Like that's, I mean, it feels like that resembles his game more now. And again, like, that's going to be an issue with the Nets because if one of his best skills now is his playmaking, it's like, well, great, we have Kyrie Irving and James Harden, so we're not we're not really maybe going to tap into your playmaking so much. So, what can he do for them? I don't know, but I wouldn't be. I mean, nothing, <laughs> nothing. He's not going to do anything useful for the Nets. And, and on a team <laughs> where the stars kind of seem to run the show, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they say, yeah, we want to play with Blake. We want to play with Blake in the starting lineup. That's what we want to do. And they get their way. And that's why it's going to make them a worse basketball well, team. I mean, I, I maybe you're right. I, Daniel, Tice, Daniel Tice is better than Blake Griffin right now. Sam and I talked about this on the From the Raptors podcast. Daniel Tice is a better basketball player than Blake Griffin right now. He can space the floor. He can defend in the paint better. And he's not useless when standing around the perimeter. I guarantee you, if you ask the Nets, we'll trade you Tice for Griffin straight up, they'd say yes in a heartbeat. It, it, it's just, he's just not the same player he was. It's fine. He's not, like, the worst player in the NBA. But in terms of what else is on the roster, Joe Harris, Nick Claxton, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, I wouldn't play Blake Griffin over any of them. Ye of little faith. In Blake Griffin. Correct. I, I mean, here's the thing. Blake, how many games do you think Blake Griffin has, has come off the bench in his career? Not a lot, probably. Zero. Yeah. Zero games. He's never come off the bench once. And look, if he does with the Nets, maybe that unlocks something. You know, I, I've heard I've heard people with you know the Pistons say, Blake's best games this season when he's played have been when he's played limited minutes. That's when he's been at his best. And this season... Yeah, because he's not on the floor. <laughs> no, but in terms of when he has been on the floor, his best you know, his best performances have been when he hasn't had to play too many minutes because by the end of the game, he loses his legs and he can't play anymore. How many minutes per game do you think Blake is averaging this season? Like 18, 20? 31. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. So if he plays, you know, 18, 20... Can he maximize those 18, 20 minutes and actually be effective in those minutes rather than, you know, killing himself playing 31 minutes a night? I think it's very, very possible. I'm going to compare this signing to a buyout signing that happened last season. And, you know, if Blake proves me wrong, like, good for him. Like, happy to see him succeed. This is the equivalent of Marvin Williams signing with the Bucs. Oh, like, that, that's gosh, what I'm going to call it. Yeah. That's what I'm calling it. It's he, I have no faith in Blake Griffin, you know, doing anything of value on the Nets. I told you I think he'll make them worse. I think Joe Harris should play over him. I think Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton. I named four guys that should be in that starting lineup with the big three. And I think Joe Harris – or, no, with DeAndre Jordan in the big three. I think Joe Harris in that starting lineup is perfect. Joe Harris is shooting above 50% from three this season. I think Joe Harris is, is better. I, I mean, I don't disagree that Joe Harris is better than him like i would definitely give joe harris minutes over him but i think there is a path to effectiveness here for blake i mean he got worse as time went along there as, as he played he got more and more wear on his legs i mean his second game of the season he played 44 minutes in his second game of the season he, he scored 26 points and he was pretty effective you know but I, I think that he just can't handle that much of a workload and the pistons were were just you know doing too much with him i mean over those, you know, they sat him down eventually, but over those first 20 games, he didn't miss a game. They didn't rest Blake Griffin at all during that stretch. It was 20 straight and at, at, at 31 minutes a night. Isn't that insane? It is insane to think about. I know you think it's insane because you just thought he played 18-20. He played 31 minutes a night when, I mean, you, you, they were asking him to do way, way too much. They were just, they, they were overworking him and now he's with the team that will ask him to do so much less that I think, you know, he can do a lot with a little. I really think it's possible. Do I, am I like, am I saying I'm, am I guaranteeing it? No, but like Blake, you know, I, I don't think he just, I mean, you know, there'll be people out there that'll disagree with me and maybe you will too, but I, I really don't think that uh, Blake Griffin is not an NBA player anymore. I think he can be an NBA player. I just don't think he's going to do anything of value for the Nets. I think he, his place is now like 
uh, God, maybe I do think he's not an NBA player anymore. He just he doesn't fit what the Nets are trying to do. I mean, isn't that the point though? Isn't like aren't the Nets the perfect team for him in many ways? Like he doesn't have to do that much. He's not the focal point. He's not even close to the focal point. He's not like he's he's gonna get you know the worst defender on most nights, and he should be able to, to take advantage of the fact that Durant and Kyrie and Harden are getting you know five defenders thrown at them. Like the other two guys are you know, being left alone, and one of those guys is going to be Blake. Yeah, but like you said, the the likely scenario is that they throw him in that starting lineup. Blake Griffin in that starting lineup makes the team worse. Joe Harris in the starting lineup is well, infinitely better. I said, I say likely in jest. I mean, I don't know. I, who knows what they're going to do? I think, I mean, like, I, 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 I say it half-jokingly, like, oh, yeah, the players, like, are going to force his way into the starting lineup. But I don't know. Uh, like I said, I think Blake right now would honestly be most effective off the bench. But we'll see. I mean... Because the other thing is, you know, I, I make the analogy of the super friends, you know, like all oh, the super friends, the players are running it, they're going to get their guy in the starting lineup. Jeff Green's also one of their guys, and he's been starting a lot this year. So which who do you like more, you know, Jeff Green? Jeff Green. Or, Jeff yeah. Green. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not saying who do you like more. I don't care, you know, but uh, but I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah. who do they like more? Kevin Durant's probably closer friends with Jeff Green. So Kevin Durant would maybe want to play with uh, Jeff Green more. But who knows? Uh, you know, I, I think... Even still, we'll see. We'll see who's who's proven right. I think Blake again in, in limited minutes can still be a, a really nice piece, and I think this is you know the perfect team for him because he's he's uh, so not the focus of the offense that that it could help. But you know we'll see. Uh, we'll see. What what do you think? Uh, uh, let's refocus on the Celtics real quick. Just what do you think of this game for the Celtics? What what do you? I mean, they. I really feel like it's it's kind of a game where you have something to prove. I mean, we talked about these four games. They just won. I know you said they're all impressive. Some people would disagree. Some people would tell you uh, they beat a Wizards team that's not even in the plan right now. They beat the Pacers who were struggling. Uh, they, you know, the Clippers didn't have Kawhi Leonard, and the Raptors had you know half their team out with COVID, which I know isn't you know technically true, but they were losing Siakam and Anunoby and Van Fleet and some really, really important players. So some people would look at you and say the opposite, but I don't want to rehash that. This Nets game, I think, you know, it's like, all right, you know, you won four straight. Games were, eh, you know, like, you know, I'm not that impressed by anyone beat. Now, prove it. Prove it. Prove how, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've, found your, you've, you've found your footing. You're back on the right track. Beat the Nets. Yeah, and I could be fact-checked here, but I don't think the Celtics have played the Nets at full strength all season. I'm fairly certain last time they played them, either James Harden or Kevin Durant was hurt. Or, and I know the first game of the season, obviously, James Harden wasn't even there. So this will be the first time they see the Nets in full, you know, in their full glory, I guess. Whether or not Blake Griffin plays, I don't know. I know Marcus Smart won't be back for their first game, but Romeo might. I think this will be the biggest test of the season for the Celtics. You know, coming off an All-Star break, Jalen and Jason looked nice in the All-Star game. That was the only entertaining part. Um, and so I, I want to see them fight. Um, realistically, they might lose this game. And if they lose this game, it's not the end of the world. This is a really good Nets team. I think in the end, when Marcus Smart is back, it'll be easier for them to compete because they'll have three guys to match up with the Nets three guys. You know, you have Jason, Jalen, and Marcus to match up with James, uh, with Harden, Durant, and Irving. Without Marcus, you're going to end up with Daniel Tice on Kevin Durant or Kemba Walker on Kyrie Irving. So it's not ideal. And once Marcus Smart is back, it'll be much better. A much better matchup for them but this will be a key if they can fight and you know scrap with the nets in this game win or lose i'll think of it as a success, as a success. all right let's talk about that a little bit because you said marcus smart let's talk about all the guys that, that uh they're opening it back i say all the guys let's talk about smart and langford okay because 
Um, you know, both of those guys potentially key pieces. I mean, Marcus Smart's obvious, so I don't know how much time we want to spend on him. But but Langford, again, let, let's just let's just rehash Romeo Langford's uh, whole situation, shall we? Okay, so coming out of high school, pretty highly recruited prospect. You know, uh, th- thought to be one of the best high school players in the country. You know, top top five, top six, top seven, whatever it was. Um, struggles a little bit in Indiana, gets hurt. Um, falls to 14th overall to the Celtics. Then the end of last year, he gets hurt again. What do you think Romeo Langford can be for this team? In the short term, long term, however you want to go with it. But what are your genuine hopes for Romeo Langford? I know, I know we both know somebody who out there who really likes Romeo Langford, really high on him. Uh, we always <laughs> see on our pregames with Bergen. But what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think do you think he can be a, uh, an important piece to the Celtics team and maybe part of their future? So I couldn't tell you where I've seen this, but I've seen like rumblings on Twitter and everywhere that Romeo Langford's you know going to be a solid part of this team when he comes back, and some people think he'll be an integral part of the Celtics. I think that defense we saw last year will be huge because that'll give you an extra defender off the bench. And realistically, the Celtics don't have any many lockdown defenders off the bench because Smart will most likely be starting. Peyton Pritchard's okay. You know, Robert Williams is good in the paint, but you need still need that wing defender. If Romeo can be that, that's solid. Guard, match up well with some of the bench guys around the league. And then if he can stretch the floor, which I know he struggled with the shot last season, if he can stretch the floor to even an average percentage, that's going to be huge because the Celtics really don't have any bench guys that can shoot consistently at the wing spot, right? They have Javante Green, who's been okay as of late. Aaron Neesmith hasn't shown any sort of consistency. And outside of that, there's really no wing depth. I mean, Semi Ojale and Grant Williams, but I see them more as power forwards. Semi Ojale, maybe you could argue is a wing and he's been okay. But if Romeo can be another guy that can come in and shoot league average room three, that will be so huge for the Celtics. So I expect him to get some run early on when he comes back. I, I don't know if Brad will ease him in or just throw him into the deep end. I assume he'll ease him in a little bit, but I expect him to actually receive some solid minutes on the Celtics when he returns. So I hope you're right. You know, I genuinely hope you're right. And I hope everybody's right. Cause we're hearing a lot of people say this, not just, you know, rumblings on Twitter, or whatever, like we're seeing Scalabrini, Zach Lowe, like they did a podcast together. They were both excited about Romeo Langford. The Celtics internally seem to be very excited about Romeo Langford. Like, I hope Romeo Langford's a really good player. But from what I saw last season, you know, the defense was fine at times, but he didn't seem like a very, you know, effective offensive NBA player. He just didn't. He, you know, he looked like an athlete. And can he do what Avery Bradley did as a young player, the backdoor cuts and, you know, et cetera, et cetera? You know, hopefully, I hope, I mean, in theory, he can, but, you know, I, I have to see it on the court first, and Langford has not shown me anything to this point to make me believe, oh, yeah, he's going to be, you know, the secret to to the Celtics uh, bench, and he's going to be the, the, the key to them finally, you know, uh, being an, an effective bench scoring team, and the missing piece, like, the, there's nothing Romeo Langford has ever done, really, at least at the NBA level, to make me believe that. No, yeah, and I think that's a fair assessment. I don't think I think he's far from the solution, right? The Celtics have struggled. I think Marcus Smart could be a big part of the solution. Maybe not the whole thing, but I think Marcus Smart's probably going to be a big missing key to the puzzle. But I do think Romeo Langford will help. I think he'll ease some of the load off the Jays, realistically, from a scoring perspective, maybe, but at least on defense, right? You throw another defensive, like, solid defensive guy in there at the wing, Jalen and Jason won't have to carry the load. Same thing with Marcus Smart. Realistically, right now, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have to score 50 points a night and also guard the best players on the other team. That's exhausting. 
there aren't many players around the league realistically who do that. And the ones who do are the tippity top superstars, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, which is what we want the Jays to be. But they're still super young. So if you can get even a little bit of help from guys like Marcus and Romeo on the defensive end, that eases the load for the Jays. And I think that's where Romeo Lakeford is going to find his impact on the Celtics. All right. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, you're again, I hope he does, but, um, if I had to bet on it, I'm just betting no right now. That's, that's, uh, simple fact of the matter. And I, I hope I'm wrong. I genuinely hope I'm wrong. I hope Romeo Langford ends up being the third star or, you know, the third star moving forward. I think Kemba has obviously proven that he's, he's retaking that mantle, <laughs> but you know, I, I hope he can be uh, a great player for them. He ends up being, you know, the like the, the top five player he was once projected to be and everything like that. I hope he's that good. Uh, I just, I don't know that I've, I've seen anything to even prove to me uh, that he can be that that piece. I think they still need to go out and trade for someone. I don't think it's going to be Langford, but we'll see. Um, one question, speaking of trade for someone, get someone in some way, and, and we were talking about Blake Griffin earlier, the buyout market is going to start. I mean, obviously the trade line's coming first, and that's coming in just, you know, less uh, a little over two weeks here. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with all of that. But... You know, after that, we're going to get into the buyout market. And there are going to be some names out there. Who, who knows who they're going to be now? It's still uh, an evolving situation, obviously. And, and some of these guys are going to... Uh, some of these teams are going to try to trade these guys before that point comes. But I don't even want to talk about that aspect of it. I just want to talk about fundamentally. Do you think the Celtics have a chance at any of these guys? Do you think they're a buyout destination? Because... I think there's some worry and some valid worry. Like, in recent years, I think they were a more attractive buyout option than they are now. And it feels like... And and even then, no one really wanted to come to them. So now, I'm really worried about their chances if they're hoping to land one of these guys that gets released. Yeah, realistically speaking, I think... There are a bunch of teams ahead of the Celtics. I think the Sixers, the Nets, the Lakers, and the Clippers are all going to be ahead of the Celtics in terms of if if a player is looking to just win a championship, they'll go to one of those four teams. And it sucks, it does, but um, I think if a player wants to play with the Celtics, the Celtics have a good case. It's not like they're not competing. I think in the second half of the season, they'll be better than they were in the first half. They have two young superstars in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and they're not that far away from being a contender again, right? You lost Gordon Hayward. You have to replace that production somewhere, but a little bit is coming from Jalen Brown stepping up this season. You know, if you get a couple bench pieces, the Celtics are right back up there, in my opinion. So a guy like Otto Porter, who's on the buyout market in rumors, you know, Andre Drummond, I don't think I'd like particularly in any ways. I think he'll sign with the Lakers. Uh, I think that's a foregone conclusion, in my opinion. I think wings that hit the buyout market, I don't know how many they'll be. I don't know how frequent they'll be. But the Celtics is going to be a solid place for them to go if they, A, want playing time and they just like Boston in general. Otherwise, the Nets are going to be a top destination. The Sixers are going to be a top destination because they realistically don't have great benches either. So they'll be able to find some decent playing time with those teams and probably have, at this point in time, in their mind, a better shot at winning a championship. So it'll definitely be tough for Boston. Yeah, I think it will be interesting because I think Boston, like, I'm going to name one of these guys now because I after I just said I wasn't. But, you know, if you look at, like, a guy like Trevor Ariza, the Celtics could offer Trevor Ariza a pretty decent role and, you know, uh, like, a, a still a pretty good team. I know we talk about them compared to other teams. that They're not there. 
But he, they might be able to offer a guy like that more minutes than another team would. And I think there might actually be a path to landing a buyout guy that really they didn't have in recent years, though they targeted these players. Um, like Marvin Williams, you just you mentioned earlier, like he's a guy they, they obviously wanted a little bit. But what I mean by that is there's still the equation you have to do of, you know, oh, we need to, you know, release someone and everything like that. And how much is that going to cost us and blah, blah, blah. Well, they might be in a situation where they do a two-for-one trade or a three-for-one or three-for-two trade, whatever they end up doing, and they open up a roster spot and they have to bring someone in. So whether or not they get one of these top guys, I think as long as they do make a trade, and again, I think if they do make a trade, it's going to be a two-for-one, three-for-one kind of thing, three-for-two, whatever, um, then they're going to have to bring somebody in. And I don't know who that player is going to be. We can hope that it's going to be someone good, but... No matter what it is, I think we're going to see them uh, dip into the free agent market at, at some point. And, you know, again, you hope it's one of these, you know, top guys that becomes available. But even if it's not, I mean, you know, whoever it's going to be, uh, you just hopefully hope it can be someone that's going to make an impact. I don't, maybe maybe they sign someone off their bench. Maybe they just sign Evan Turner, right? <laughs> he's their, he's their uh, <laughs> guy they bring in after that. I don't know. But... Whoever it is, again, uh, I, like I, I think there's going to be an easy, easier path for the Celtics because now they say, all right, not only do we do we want to bring a guy in, we need to because we need to fill this roster spot. Yeah, I definitely think it'll be a place for players to go if they do want playing time. I'd love Otto Porter on the Celtics. I think he could realistically start while Smart is out. I think he'd be solid in the starting lineup. I think he'd be even better off the bench. Uh, if Otto Porter found his way to Boston, I'd be ecstatic, but realistically, he'll probably end up in Brooklyn or Philly or somewhere if he does get bought out. P.J. Tucker's another guy that's been rumored on the buyout market, but I- I've heard that he's probably going to end up in Philly. Unfortunate, but it, I-, I think if players really want playing time, and they're not older, I think the older players will definitely lean towards a Brooklyn or a Philly, but a guy like Otto Porter who's 28, 29, 30 years old, I don't actually know how old he is, could look at Boston and say, okay, I'll get some solid playing time here and I'll be able to compete. So it'll be tough. I hope Danny stays active in the buyout market as well as the trade market, but only time will tell. All right. Well, Jack, thank you for joining us, doing a little Celtics second half preview of sorts. And guys, go follow Jack on Twitter at JackSimoneNBA. Go follow Bannertown on Twitter at BannertownUSA. And Jack, thank you for coming on as always. Appreciate it, my friend. Of course, anytime. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. And also be sure to go follow you know me on Twitter at Wicked Smart Pod. Follow, uh, or follow me on Twitter at Bike Hedrilla. Follow the pod on Twitter at Wicked Smart Pod. Check out everything over at Guy Boston Sports. We'll be back later in the week with a little NFL free agency preview with Renee over from the site. So be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening, guys. And again, thank you to Manscaped. Head over to manscaped.com. Again, the great offers over there. We're giving you 20% off. 20% off any product you want. You can just you can pick. Go through their catalog at Manscaped. Whatever it is. Whatever you want there. You can even get the, this expensive razor. And you can get 20% off of it. Okay, with code WSSG. So if you want to support the podcast, help us out here, head over to Manscaped.com. And you really, I mean, you'd be helping the podcast, but... You'd be helping your own self because we all need to do a little bit of manscaping, okay? It helps us all. So head over there, manscaped.com, and then use that code WSSG. Thank you for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.